Let's, uh, let's look at Matthew chapter 10 this morning. Matthew chapter 10. We are beginning, uh, excuse me, continuing in um, our series, The Mission of the Disciple. We're really coming to an end of the longer series that has been from chapter 8 all the way till the end of chapter 10. And we're going through these instructions that Jesus gave. Um, and we're going to begin in verse 26. And I would just ask you to uh, read along in your copy of the Word of God as I read uh, from here this morning. Beginning in verse 26. It says, Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light, and what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim on, upon the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. I don't know about you, but we live in a crazy world, don't we? And it just seems like it's getting crazier and crazier all the time, just things that, it just amazes me every week. I, I listen to Dr. Moeller's podcast, uh, uh, talking about the news and stuff for the week and, and the stuff he finds that, that are just in major newspapers and the stuff people come up with and the arguments they're making is just, uh, it's just insane sometimes. And, you know, I can't, all, I, I can't help but to go back to Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 20, where Isaiah is saying, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes, clever in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and valiant men and mixing strong drink who justify the wicked for a bribe and who take the rights of the ones who are in the right. Boy, doesn't that sound like our world today? In fact, I think that every generation of Christians down throughout church history in the last 2,000 years have all believed that this was the generation that Christ is, is coming back because the world just seems like it's getting more and more and more evil and more and more backwards and crazy all the time, doesn't it? And by the way, they were all wrong. Uh, here's what I'll say. We're 2,000 years closer than they were, so it must be getting kind of close, amen? But the bottom line is, is that as long as we're still here, we are living in this crazy world. And we live in a world where, you know, it's easy to grow cynical, easy to grow uh, kind of facetious about the world and cynical and just kind of give up hope. You'll, you'll hear people say things. Let's, let's see if any of us have said these things before. Like, for example, no good deed goes unpunished. You ever said that one before? <laughs> I have. How about this one? Don't be good at your job because that's when your boss makes it hard on you. You ever heard that one before? <laughs> yeah, I have. In fact, I've said it a lot before I came here, by the way. So 
There, there's a, you know, in our world, we live in a world where perversion makes you a hero and lands you on the cover page of a popular magazine, and yet truth makes you a villain. It makes you an enemy of the public. And you look at all of this, and, you, and it's easy to say, what is the point? What is the point? Why keep trying? Christians have asked that for years. Why do we keep going when it just seems like everything is going against us? So my, my hope this morning, beloved, is to encourage you to, if you're not engaged in the mission, to engage in the mission, or, or maybe you're one who has grown cynical and you have kind of dropped out of the mission, I'm, I'm hoping that you will re-engage as a result of the teaching of Christ this morning. Christ warned us last week, last couple of weeks, he warned us that there were hard times coming for those who are on mission. And we saw that there are those who will resist us. There are loved ones who will betray us. And there are others, entire cities that will persecute us. He said that as Christians, we should expect these things. And if we are going to be on mission as a church, we should expect to be resisted even violently and even by those from whom we expect it the least. You may remember last week we said that the hatred, the world's hatred of Christ is so vitriolic that it will often cancel out and overshadow even the strongest of family bonds. And so you look at this world and we wonder, what should we do? Why in the world would we sign up for that? And so three times in our text this morning, Jesus tells us, don't fear. Don't be afraid of this. Do not be afraid. Don't fear them. Now, it doesn't mean that we won't have feelings of fear. I don't, I don't think that's what he's doing here. It's very natural when we hear that there's a chance that we're going to be uh, kicked out of town or we're gonna lose all of our possessions or we may even lose our lives. Beloved, it's okay. It's, it's natural to have feelings of fear. What Jesus is saying here is don't let that fear knock you out. Don't let that fear control your responses. And instead, let our compassion and love for Christ don't keep you on the mission. And so Christ commands us that we are to have courage for the mission, to have courage. I heard someone say one time, and this is, not, I don't know, I, I mean, it kind of stuck with me, um, and, and I'll share it with you. It may not stick with you the same way it stuck with me, but, but uh, I heard the difference between bravery and courage one time. Bravery can be an act of bravery or an act of stupidity, depending on the circumstances. But courage is doing the right thing even in the face of fear. Courage is doing the right thing, what you know is right, what Christ says is right, even in the presence of fear. And that definition's always kind of stuck with me. I don't know where they got it. I don't remember where I heard it from, but... That, that definition has always stuck with me. And that's, and that's what Christ is telling us to do this morning is that do not let fear stop you in the mission. Don't let the fear of what others or how they might respond or what even what they might do to us, don't let that hold us back. And so what kinds of fear are we talking about? You know, there's different things in the mission that we can be afraid of. 
different things. And, and so Christ is gonna offer us encourage this morning for three kinds of fear that we see. He's gonna offer us encouragement for when we are unsure, when we are ashamed, and when we are anxious. When we're unsure, when we're ashamed, and when we're anxious. And so let's look at these. Beginning in verse 26, he says, do not, therefore do not fear them for there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Christ encourages us, first of all, when we are, oh, I, I changed it since that. So three sources of courage, yeah, okay. But uh, no, we're looking at three kinds of fear. So, so don't write that down. But number one, Christ encourages us when we are unsure. He encourages us when we are unsure. He looks back, he says, nothing is concealed that will not be revealed. So, so what is he talking about here? What does it mean that it is covered or that it is hidden, that it will be revealed and that it will be made known? What, what is he talking about there? Well, you recall that as Christ was in the world, he was veiled in human flesh and that there was nothing about his physical person if you saw Christ walking on the street, you would not think anything different of him. In fact, if you saw Christ being born, you would not think anything different. Now, if you were in the shepherd's field, you might have, but, but as far as the birth itself, it was, it was perfectly normal. Christ lived a perfectly normal childhood life, as far as we know. Christ lived a perfectly normal life until he began his ministry. And there was nothing about him. In fact, uh, John chapter one, and I did not get uh, passages on the board this morning. I apologize. So, so uh, that's why I got my big Bible here. I can turn a little better. But in John chapter one and verses 11 and 12, it says that Christ came to his own and those who were his own did not receive him. It said he was in the world and the world was made through him, but the world did not know him. His glory was veiled like the great Christmas hymn, veiled in flesh, the incarnate See, In Isaiah chapter 53, verses one and two, you might wanna write that down for later, but Isaiah 53, verses one and two, it says, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of Yahweh been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender root, like a root out of parched ground. He had no stately form or majesty that we would look upon him, no appearance that we should be attracted to him. Beloved, if Jesus Christ and his earthly ministry were here among us today, he would just be another face in the crowd. It would, that we would see nothing about him that would be abnormal. We would see nothing about him that was different. Even in his ministry that we've been looking at, uh, turn back in your Bible just a page or two over to chapter eight, verse four. And Jesus said to the one who was cleansed, see to it that you tell no one. So there's a hidden aspect of his ministry. You look at chapter nine, verse 30. And their eyes were open and Jesus sternly warned them, see to it that no one knows about this. And even today, it remains hidden. I mean, where is, where is Christ now? He's in heaven, reigning at the right hand of the Father, preparing a place for us, all of those things he's promised, but can we see that? No. In fact, I think, I think maybe, maybe it's just me, but sometimes when you're at a funeral and you look at that lifeless body, 
in front of you, sometimes it's, it's hard to remember that that person's not there. That that person is, in some mysterious way that we don't quite understand, that person is separated from their body and with the Lord in heaven. But it's hard to remember that sometimes. And have you not sometimes wondered how that could be even possible? I think if we're honest, it's okay to ask questions like that. And so there is an aspect of, of Christ even today that is, that is hidden. And yet Christ says there is nothing hidden that will not be made known. There is nothing concealed that will not be revealed. Christ assures us that one day everything will be shown for what it is. The truth will be known. Everything will be known. In light of that, Christ says, what I say to you in the dark, what I whisper to you in your ear, what we read in the scriptures and, what we, and, and when we meditate on the word and when we reflect on it and those insights we give, Christ says, what I whisper to you, what I give you in darkness, proclaim it out loud. Shout it from the housetops. Speak it loud. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be unsure because there's a day coming when everything will be made known. That all of the things that we believe and trust in and have staked our life in will be made real. Will be, excuse me, not real. Will be made manifest. That's a better word. Will be made uh, three-dimensional. Will be made... Will be made you get where I'm going with this. Everyone will see it. I'm using some wrong words here. But the point is, is that every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess Jesus is the Lord to the glory and praise of the Father. Christ says in, in Matthew 24, when he comes again, it will be like lightning in the sky that, that just as lightning strikes on one side of the earth and you see it on the other, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. It will be visible to everyone. And there is coming a day that the world will know that Christ is Lord. All the world will know. I think of Jeremiah chapter 20, verses seven and nine. Jeremiah was facing a lot of difficulty for his, for his ministry. He was being, I mean, he was eventually kidnapped and taken to Egypt and all of this. And in fact, he prays here, oh Yahweh, you have deceived me and I was deceived. You've overcome me and prevailed. I've become a laughingstock all the day long. Everyone mocks me. Each time I speak, I cry aloud. I proclaim violence and destruction because, of, because for me, the word of Yahweh has resulted in reproach and derision all the day long. We understand what that's like, right? We see how the media portrays us. We see how the world thinks of us. And so he says, but if I say, I will not remember him or speak anymore in his name, ever feel like that? I'm just, I just give up. I just don't wanna do this anymore. But Jeremiah then says, but then in my heart, it becomes like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I'm weary of holding in. I cannot endure it. The word of God is like a burning fire in his bones. He cannot help 
but to speak it. Oh, church, how do we get to that? How do we get to that point? To where no matter what the difficulty is, even if we tried to stop speaking, we couldn't. For the word of God is so like a burning fire within us. I think the missing ingredient in so many Christians' lives is meditation on the word. We, we read it in the morning, our daily quiet time. We shut the book. We go on and live our lives just like we would have anyway. And there's a missing ingredient between reading the word and actually applying it to our lives. And that is that, that meditation of the word. Look at Psalm chapter 39 for a moment if you want to turn there. What happens when we reflect? What happens when we meditate? When, when, we, when we think on something on and on and on again? The psalmist says in verses two and three, he says, I was mute and silent. I refrained even from good. My sorrow grew worse. My heart was hot within me while I was meditating. The fire burned and then I spoke with my tongue. Now, now the psalmist in context is talking about the anger that he's feeling, but notice the more he reflected on it, the more, the more, the more he thought about it, the more he meditated on it, the more he mused on it, the more it became a fire within him. And, and we've done that too, haven't we? Just thought about something that, that upset us and the more we thought about it, the angrier we got. That's what you do, that's meditation. Don't meditate on your anger or what makes you upset. Meditate on the word. And it will grow as a fire within you to where you cannot help but to obey it. For 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 7, Paul tells Timothy, think upon what I say. Reflect upon what I say. Think upon what I say, and the Lord will give you understanding. That's what we want, isn't it? So spend time in meditation on the word, on the truths of the gospel. The more you do, the more assured you will be. And the more assured you will be, the more courage you will have. You ever uh, get in an argument with someone and you know you're right? Yeah? How many of you have ever been wrong? Not many of us? Okay. So, <laughs> Roxanne never has, so. But, um, it just, gives you a, it just gives you a courage, doesn't it, when you know you're right? Beloved, we're right. We're right. The word of God is true. We don't have to be afraid. So when we are unsure, Christ encourages us, but he also encourages us when we are alarmed. Look at verse 28. Look at verse 28. He says, Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul and hell. When we are ashamed, but I think alarmed would probably be better. When we are alarmed. Look at the second command. Second time he says, do not fear. Don't be afraid. Do not let fear overtake you. Do not let it overshadow the faith. Do not let it uh, control you. And he says, do not fear what? Those who kill the body. Now, we've already seen that possibility. 
We've already seen that drastically there is a, there is a chance in the Christian life that those who are even closest to us will betray us. We saw that a couple of weeks ago. For the, for the sake of Christ, there are those who their hatred of Christ is so vitriolic that it will cancel out even the most closest of family bonds. We have seen that. Brother will betray brother unto death. Uh, mother will and, and father will betray child and child will betray parents. And look to the extent it says they will betray them, turn them over to death. And so we've already seen that possibility, that, that drastic possibility. We saw that last week. And yet Christ shows us that for all the things they can do, all the things they can do for us, to us, and against us. There's one thing they can't do. They can't kill the soul. They can't kill the soul. Physical death is the extent of the harm that they can bring on us. Look at, uh, look at Romans chapter eight for a moment. This is a passage that is very dear and near to my heart. Paul is saying that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. There is nothing that will tear us away. He says, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? You see that golden chain of salvation in verses 28 through 30. And there's a question here, and that is, well, what if I wanted to jump out? of God's hand. You know, I know God is holding me in his hand, but what if I wanted to jump out? What if I wanted to leave? What if, what if, what if I wanted to walk away? Well, let me ask you a question. What might cause you to do that? What fears might instigate you to do that? Maybe death, maybe the promise of better life, spiritual warfare, angels, principalities, Things that are happening in your life right now. Maybe fear of the future. Maybe powers. Things that are high. Things that are low. Did I forget anything? Okay. Or any other created thing. None of those things will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, what are some of the things some people, that people will try to do to us? Who might try to separate us? Well, they might put us through tribulation. They might put us through distress, persecution. They may take away all of our food, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. All the things they might try to set, use to separate us from Christ. What does Paul say? But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Beloved, we are held by the hand of God and nothing is more powerful than that. And for all the things they might try to do, whether peril or famine or nakedness or sword or whatever it is they may try to do, they cannot kill the soul. We are overwhelmingly conquerors through Christ who loves us. Can't do it. And so, what is that? What is that for us? The fact of the soul, it's the real you. It's, the, it's a synonym for the heart, if you will. 
He says, the fact of the matter is, is that that is the center of your mind, your will and affections. And Jesus says, they may kill your body, but they cannot kill you. Because the center of you is your soul. John 11, chapter 25 and, and 26, Jesus was, and by the way, he said this at a funeral. Jesus was at the funeral of his dear friend, Lazarus. Of course, it didn't stay a funeral for too long. But Jesus in chapter 25 and 26, as Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me uh, will live even if he dies. And I love the way the legacy standard Bible translates this. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die, never. They will never die, ever. I love that translation. It captures the strength of what Jesus is saying here that there is absolutely no way that anyone who believes in Christ will not go on to live. Beloved, fear of death causes us to be alarmed and it might even cause us to be ashamed of the gospel. There's a great, you know, there's a great fear of death in our culture today. We don't, we don't handle death very well. We're very separated from it. We don't even, and unless you're a hunter, you don't even, we don't, most of us don't even, even see the food that we eat get killed or, or slaughtered. We're just, we're completely separated from it. It's, it's kind of out of mind and, and, and it's not something you often bring up in, in polite conversation. You know, even at funerals, oftentimes we won't say the word death. We use these kind of euphemisms like, like they passed away or, or, or things like that. Our, our culture just doesn't deal with it very well. And yet Jesus is flat out, he says, there is something worse than death. And so he says here in verse 28, he says, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. There is something worse than death. Not just losing the body, but if we were to lose our body and our soul in hell. Don't think too much of that word destroy there. It it doesn't mean annihilation. It's the, the harsh reality of hell is that it is always dying, never dead. Always being destroyed, but never destroyed. Living in constant death and wrath of God forever. Rather fear the one. In other words, fear God. That's easier said than done. How, how are we supposed to rid our hearts of fear of death? How are we supposed to rid our hearts of that? And I think, I think Psalm 112 gives us some great uh, insight into the fear of the Lord. Psalm 112, and, and really the, the entire psalm is, is wonderful. The entire psalm is wonderful, but, but specifically look at uh, verse seven and eight. He says here, praise the Lord. How blessed is the man who fears Yahweh, who greatly delights in his commandments. That's the introduction. And then he talks about what it means. What does it look like to fear Yahweh? What does it look like to fear the Lord? What are we talking about? And in verse seven and eight, he will not fear evil tidings. His heart is steadfast, trusting in Yahweh. His heart is upheld. He will not fear until he looks with satisfaction upon his 
adversaries. Look what the psalmist says. Notice, why does he not fear an evil report? Why does he not fear evil tidings? Because his heart is set on something greater. His heart is set on something more. You see, the way you conquer fear is you replace it with a greater fear. That's the way you conquer fear. Just like, what do I do with my love of sin? Why, how, do I keep, how do I stop from going back to a sin over and over and over again? You sin because you love it. And so you replace that love with a greater love, a love of Christ that has developed and grown in your heart. That is the only way to defeat idols in your heart. And the only way to defeat fear is to replace it with a greater fear. Don't fear those who can kill the body but cannot harm the soul, but fear the one who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. You know, the old saying says, you're gonna be ready to change when the pain of staying the same hurts worse than the pain of changing. Well, you can say the same thing about fear. You will continue to fear what you fear until you replace it with a greater fear. Just like the, you know, how many of you are afraid to run into a burning house? Right? Let me ask you a question. If your child was in there, would the fear, would the greater fear of losing your child overwhelm the fear of running into a burning house? It, it would, would it not? The only way to replace fear is to replace it with a greater fear. And so we fear the Lord. Grow in the fear of the Lord. The fear, our reverence for God outweighs our fear of man. We will not fear them. And our reverence of the Lord is set. So grow in the fear of the Lord. Meditate on his attributes. Meditating on this psalm is a great place to start. Remember, I, we taught you how to meditate a while back using the Philippians 4, 8 questions. And, and just take every one of those questions. What is true about this? What is noble about this? What is good about this? What is, what is excellent about this? Take those questions and use them to meditate on the psalm this week. To start meditating on the greatness of the Lord and what it means to biblically fear Yahweh, replace your fear of losing your life with a greater fear of losing your soul. And by the way, can I talk to my unbelieving friends here for a moment? If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, I just wanna to talk to you for a moment. Jesus says, what point is it to gain the whole world but to lose your soul? What point is it is to gain everything you want in life? All of the money, all of the riches, all of the power, all of the influence, all of the popularity, all of those things that, that we look for, the American dream, all of, what's the point of all of that if in the end you lose your soul? Let me ask you a question. Would it be worth it at that point? Would it be worth it for you to lose all of that so that you can gain your soul in Christ. Is that not worth it? To live forever in the presence of the one who loves you more than any one of those things you're putting your trust in. All of those things will betray you. Christ will see you through. And so let's move on. Finally, Christ encourages us not only when we are alarmed, not only when we are unsure, but also when we're anxious. Look at uh, 
verses 29 through 31. He says, are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So once again, third time, do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. When we're anxious, Jesus starts off again with this question that are not two sparrows sold for a cent? I mean, Sparrows were everywhere back then, and, and, and basically it was considered poor man's food. You could, you, could, you, know, you could buy a sparrow every day. A lot of people pretty much lived off a of sparrow. That was pretty much the meat they got, or, or fish or something like that. The sparrow was like the cheap of the cheap. That was, that was like when I was in college, ramen noodles, all right? It was a great day, beloved, when I went to Walmart one day and I discovered I could get 10 ramen noodles for a buck. That was amazing uh, much of what you see now is ramen noodle, okay? <laughs> I, I never will forget when I, when I reached an economic status to where I was able to graduate to Hamburger Helper and Taco Bell. That was, that was like the day, you know? <laughs> but I lived off ramen noodle for, for like forever. And so our, is not ramen noodle worth a cent, you know? <laughs> is not two sparrows sold for a cent? It's, it's the poor man's food, and yet Jesus says, look at these insignificant birds that the world would view as worthless. And yet Jesus says, not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father. And it doesn't mean just, just simply without his knowledge. I love how the NIV kind of brings us out and the Holman Christian Standard does this too. It says that apart from the will of your father, apart without your father's consent. In other words, it doesn't mean that he just knows about it. It means that he is involved, that there is participation. That's the idea. And beloved, nothing in this world happens apart from the will of God. Nothing. A sparrow does not fall to the ground apart from God's will. I've, I've said this before. I do not believe that a leaf falls to the ground anywhere on this planet apart from the sovereign will of God. And if he is in control of that, then how much more valuable are you to him? How much more? Jesus says you're more valuable than many sparrows. I'm not talking about self-help, self-esteem, pop psychology. I'm not, I'm not talking about that, but understanding not that, that we have value in and of ourselves, but the fact that God loves you and you are more valuable to him than many sparrows, all the sparrows on the earth. You are more valuable to him. Christ points out to these two truths about the Father that number one, he is in complete control. Do you believe that? He is in complete control. He says, even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. You know, most of the time when people quote that, they, they just quote it in kind of, a, kind of an all-knowing sort of way that he knows how many hairs we have on our head. Now, I know for some of us, that's a little easier than others, but... but that's not what it means. It, it's actually active. He says the hairs on your head are numbered. In other words, he's in control of them. He has numbered them. He has said this far, no further. He has said that, 
that he is numbering, that he is in control. He has assigned their number and he knows how many you've had in the past. He knows how many you have now and he knows how many you will have in the future. And God made few heads perfect. The rest he gave them hair. But I expected that to land a little better than it did. But anyway, (laughs) the point is he has assigned their number. He is in control. Do you believe that? Do you know that God is in control? Well, that brings up the second question. Do you trust his goodness? Do you trust his goodness? Look what he says. He says, so do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows, more than this, more than the fact that he is in control is that he loves us. You see, somebody can be in total control but have zero concern for the people. Look at China. Zero concern for the people. Look at North Korea, total control, zero concern. Or people can love you to no end, but have no control. They have no ability to help you. They may be able to sympathize, but there's nothing they can do. Beloved, God is in control. He is sovereign and he is good. Don't ever talk about God's goodness apart from his sovereignty. And beloved, please don't ever talk about his sovereignty apart from his goodness. His attributes are in perfect harmony, perfect sync. He says, you are more valuable to him than many sparrows. Oh, my unbelieving, my unbelieving friend, let me, let me talk to you again for a moment. Do you hear that? Do you realize that all of those things that you are chasing care nothing for you? That as soon as you are gone, they will move on. All of the success, the job that you've worked for your whole life will just go to someone else when you retire. In fact, you may find yourself in a place where you are involuntarily training your replacement. That's happened. Every love on earth is temporary. And yet every Yet the love of the Father who loved you so much, even though he rules the world and he is a loving creator, he has created us to rule in submission to him, to to manage his creation. And yet we decided that we wanted to be king. We wanted to take the crown off of his head, put it on our head. We rebelled against him and said, I wanna do things my way. And we have made a mess of things. Look at this crazy world. Made a mess of it. You know, God will not allow that rebellion to last forever. He, He has appointed a day where he will judge the earth and just like any other act of high treason, the punishment for sin and 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 rebellion is death and judgment. That sounds harsh, but it is. But beloved, my unbelieving friend, if you are trusting in something else and you say, how can a loving God do that? Here's what that loving God did. He sent Jesus Christ, his only begotten son, to live in the perfect rule of the Father. And then he died for your sins. He died for you and faced his own wrath so that way you would not have to And that sacrifice was so complete that God raised him. He raised from the dead on the third day. And we have that witness in this Bible. 
That's why we're here. He's ascended to the right hand of the Father. He's ruling over heaven and earth. And he's offering himself to you as a, sac- as, a, as a rescue from sin, a rescue from his wrath. In the church, we call him a savior because he saves us from our sin and from his own wrath. My unbelieving friend, let me ask you a question. What idol are you chasing today that has done that for you? What idol, what love do you have in your life that has done that for you? Nothing, nothing. God demonstrates his own love for you in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So beloved, that is, that is what you need to hear. In my beloved church, let me ask you, why are we so afraid of that message? Why are we so hesitant whenever it comes a chance to share that message with a lost friend or a lost loved one? Why are we so hesitant? Why are we so afraid? Jesus says three times, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. When you're unsure, he'll encourage you in the truth. When you're alarmed, he's protecting you with his sovereign goodness. When you are anxious, he's in control. And he loves you. So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't let fear overtake the mission. Don't let fear rule us out. Why do we cower over those before the worst they can do is put us in front of God (laughs) and for our heavenly reward? You want to kill me? That's fine, homie. That's a favor. Paul said, I'm not sure which one is better, to stay here and, and, and be a ministry for the church or to depart and be with the Lord. We're going to torture you. Okay, fine. Well, we're going to kill you. Fine. To, for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. I reckon it's better to be with the Lord. Than, uh, uh, do whatever you want to, homie. It's all about Christ. It's all about him. And the worst anyone can do to you is put you in front of the God who loves you and will welcome you home with open arms and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. They cannot harm us and your God is for you. Our Father, we thank you today for these truths that you've given us. Lord, I pray that you would take away our fear this morning, our hesitance, that you would move us and make us more like Christ. Give us a holy dissatisfaction with the level of our witness where we are right now. Help us to be courageous, bold, not in an an arrogant way, Lord, we've, we've, all, we've all seen that. We don't, we don't want to do that. We know you don't want to do that. You tell us the, the, the servant of God must be gentle, must be not quarrelsome, but with gentleness able to correct those who are on the wrong, on the wrong paths. So Lord, give us a gentle boldness, a non-quarrelsome apologetic Make us like Christ. 
for he cannot deny himself. And Lord, may we never deny him through fear. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your savior, I want to invite you to come. I would love to talk with you. There are men and women in this church who would love to talk to you. If you wanna come, you can talk to any one of them. In fact, you don't even have to go down, come down. If you wanna talk to your Sunday school teacher or you wanna talk to your small group leader, whatever it is, you can, you can do that. I'm gonna invite you to stand and just uh, bow our heads for just a couple minutes and just reflect on what we've heard. Let me, let me ask you a question. Are you, are, are you afraid? Are you, are you hesitant to share your faith? Maybe you have someone that you've been praying for and you've been hesitant. You're, you're waiting for that perfect opportunity. Beloved, I, that perfect opportunity is not gonna come, but the opportunities to be obedient are coming all the time. And so ask the Lord to make you obedient. Don't be afraid. What are you afraid of? There's nothing to fear. I'd ask, I invite you to just reflect on that for a couple minutes while the musicians play.